Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready, here, ready, here, ready, here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 welcome. That's the voice of Ryan Treasure, VP, I call him of everything at World Talk Radio Voice America, my co-producer on the show. And this is the future of now. If anybody tells you the future is already here, you tell them no. That was yesterday's future. Today's future didn't happen yet, and we're here to make it happen. I have such a special show for you today, and if you could see us on Zoom, which you can't, I'm raising a wine glass. I know it's only 11.04 a.m. here on the East Coast, but I'll tell you why. So let me start out with the buzz. I have some interesting statistics about the wine industry. Although women comprise more than 50% of the population, women hold far fewer positions in the wine industry fewer leadership roles, fewer ownership roles, and wine expert and the author of the Wine Bible, Karen McNeil, in her second annual report on women in the wine industry, says an estimated 10% of winemakers in California are female. Only 7% in Washington, 5% in New York. Let that sink in. That's not good numbers. At the 2019, last year before COVID, I'm telling you that, Wonder Women of Wine, that's a WOW inaugural conference in Austin, Texas, when people could get together all in one place. She closed her keynote with the following, my friends, men are not going to fix this. Many of them don't even think a problem exists. The situation is ours to change. The time is now. So move forward unwaveringly and ambitiously. Be supportive of other women and help create a new terroir of wine feminism. So in honor of this topic, we have gathered with the help of my first guest, Susie Selby of Selby Winery, who graciously engaged this panel. We're asking Susie and Sharon Cohn at Breathless Wines, Jane Utley at Unfiltered Unfined Wines, we have to find out what that name means, and Karen Maley at Robert Young Estate Winery for their take on the topic today. We'll drink to that, the future of women and technology in the wine industry. Welcome, I'm Bonnie D. Graham. So happy to be here. And now let's get started. I'm going to ask each of my very special experts, panelists, ladies in wine, <laughs> to introduce themselves briefly, tell us a little bit about their background, how they got started in the wine industry, and what is their passion for the topic. I think their backgrounds would tell us. Susie Selby, you were on my Read My Lips radio show a couple months ago. I was so happy to talk to you and so impressed that I invited you to bring a panel of your colleagues, and here you are. So Susie, welcome, and in case there's five people in the world who don't know who you are yet, now's your chance to talk to those five people. <laughs> Go ahead, Susie. <laughs> You are so kind, Bonnie. We're all very excited to be here. And I have to say that I'm impressed with the panelists I got together because they all are very impactful in the industry, which is exciting. And I know the viewers are going to enjoy listening to everyone. Um, I am the owner and winemaker at Selby Winery in beautiful Hillsburg, which is in California. I learned winemaking in an apprenticeship situation. So everything I learned was hands-on by, by being at a large winery. I started out in a tasting room. I learned how to drive the forklift. I became um, probably the first cellar master in California. And basically that meant that I ran a crew of, they were all guys, um, both in the vineyards and the winery. 
and um, did that for, gosh, 10 years, and at the same time started my own brand, and now I am I'm doing this on my own. I'm, I'm a sole proprietor. I am at about uh, 13,000 cases, and I distribute nationally, and it's been quite a journey in this field. Thank you, Susie. I'm so indebted to you for, um, I'm telling everybody, I'm putting you each on speaker view when you talk, just so you know you'll be full frame in the video. I'm so indebted to you for this. And and Susie, as I mentioned in my quote from Ms. O'Neill, uh, Ms. McNeil, I don't think any of us outside of wine really knew that there was an issue with women getting jobs or becoming managers or starting your own winery. I, I don't think anybody really knew that. We think of what's a good what's a good winery? What's a good bottle? What do we want to drink? What do we want to order? What do we want? We never think about behind the scenes. So maybe we'll raise some awareness today in addition to raising a glass. You think that's a good idea, Susie? Of course, always. Always. <laughs> Thank you very much. And now let's go around the virtual table. Let's go to Sharon Cohn at Breathless Wines. Sharon, you and I met about six and a half minutes ago, and I want to know about you. So you're up, Sharon. Please introduce yourself. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having us on. Um, it's, been a, it's been a fun ride. I grew up in Sonoma County and um, here, still here now, still my stomping grounds. Um, it's kind of a stressful time right now. We have the fires going on. My uh, block was pretty much decimated, but my childhood house actually still is standing. Um, just found that out late last night, so that was cool. Um, met Bruce Cohn. I've been a dental hygienist for 40 years um, in my practice, and we ended up getting married and having four kids. And um, he, of course, started BR Cohn. So I was very much a part of that. Our first winemaker actually was Helen Turley, so it was a woman. So I just kind of thought that was just how it how it went. Um, I got into the olive oil company, but fast forward, um, my sister. Rebecca Faust and her partner, Bruce Lundquist, started Rack and Riddle, which is a custom crush facility. And they now um, crush for probably 250 uh, clients every year, um, large and small, all the way across the board. But it gave us the opportunity to do something in honor of our mom for all the breathless moments that she created for us in our lives and to remind everyone to create those in their own. Um, so we... Uh, we're able to, to start Breathless. Um, we have an amazing winemaker, also a woman, Penny Gag Coster. She also is the executive winemaker of Rack and Riddle. So um, like Susie, these women have forged their place in this um, men-dominated area and uh, just done a beautiful job. We uh, focus on sparkling wines and um, because that's what we love to drink. Be honest, my mother never drank in her life, so it's not about <laughs> that. But it, there's um, another piece to that. She had a disease called alpha one, and so we support that um, disease. It's basically like like emphysema, though you've never smoked a day in your life. Um, so we uh, that's where breathless came from. Um, but it's really about how she lived every life, every every minute of her life, um, taking no breath for granted. So. With my sisters, we we all have our little our place in the business, and um, we all run a hundred miles an hour. We're we're having fun together. So nice to meet you, Sharon Cohen, and thank you for sharing your story. And you had me almost breathless talking about your mom. 
That's a beautiful tribute, a beautiful way to define a mom's role. I'm in tears, actually. Somebody once accused me of turning on tears on my radio and TV shows, and I said, no, they just kind of come. That's just when you say something very emotional, it just gets to me. So thank you, and it's so lovely to meet you. And I have to tell everybody, I'm here on Zoom. I can see my beautiful guests. They're all gorgeous women, and I can see Sharon is in in the middle of a virtual background of these huge glasses of sparkling wine they're even bigger than she is on the on the video here and, and it's a real treat to see this so thank you very much Sharon and now let's move one more seat around the table to Jane Utley Jane welcome nice to meet you I get met you 12 minutes before the show and why don't you fill us in on who you are what you do what does wine mean to you Jane welcome well wine has been my passion for a very long time uh, uh, I grew up in Australia was born in England, but went to Australia as a little girl. My mother dragged me over there. I didn't have much choice. I was six years old. Uh, and I lived most of my, uh, you know, formative years, I should say beginning of my formative years in Australia. And Australia has a huge wine industry. So when I grew up enough to be able to drink, I started drinking Aussie wines. And it became quite, quite something for me. I really enjoyed wine. My two grandfathers both um, collected wine. I'm not going to say that they collected anything expensive, but they certainly would go to the bottle shop and buy something and uh, lay it down. So I, I, uh, I really started um, on Sunday afternoons, I would be uh, going down to my grandfather's wine cellar in the basement um, and I was allowed to choose a wine. I remember the first time I chose a wine, it was a white wine. Um, I never did that again. So <laughs> eating <laughs> lamb and white wine just didn't kind of work for a Sunday lunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Taya, growing up in Australia, and then I, I, I uh, worked for a, a home furnishings company for many years, and, and uh, I was their national sales manager, and um, the job for the, the, uh, uh, the CEO was um, on the table, and uh, I didn't get it, and, and uh, that was a, a, a huge disappointment for me, so I decided to just pack my bags and take my passion with me to the US and started um, importing Australian wines to begin with in 1998. And then in uh, uh, the early 2000s, I started importing Spanish wine. Fast forward to 2008, uh, I moved to Florida from um, Connecticut and I decided that uh, after many, many trials and tribulations with wine distributors in Florida that to heck with it, I'm going to stop. I didn't say to heck, I said something else. <laughs> we know, we know. We're such I said, I'm, going to, I'm going to do this myself. Uh, so I started, uh, I founded Unfiltered Unfine Wines uh, in January of 2008. And um, we're, 20, we're 25 strong. Um, I have seven women who work, uh, work with me and um, 17 guys. I was actually looking at those numbers, this, actually eight women and 17 guys. Mm. I was looking at those numbers, I'm thinking, you know, I really need to do a little bit. I don't, I don't need to get rid of any of my guys. They're all great. I just need some more women on board. Um, <laughs> the name Unfiltered Over Fine Wines, it's, it's a kind of weird story. I had another name I wanted, and I can't even remember what that name was. But when I went to register whatever that name was, oh, that's taken. So I just went, you know what? I really like wines that are unfiltered and unfined or unfined and unfiltered. So that's why I called it Unfiltered Unfine Wines because the name was available. So that's how it happened. Normally people would go like, oh, let's call it AAA something. (laughs) 
So we have a puppy joining us. I have a question for you, Jane. Thank you so much for your story. Absolutely charming. What does unfind mean? U-N-F-I-N-E-D in terms of wine. I don't know what the word is. Well, Susie can probably explain that um, a little better than I can. But basically, um, when when during the the, uh, the 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 production of wine or at the time it's going to be bottled, we we go through a process or a winemaker goes through the process of, of finding the wine. So taking out some little bits and pieces. Would you say, Susie, in, in yeah, a, imp- okay. impurities in the wine or yeah. proteins. So. Um, we, you know, so the wines, you know, most wines or white wines that I know mostly are, are definitely fine. Um, but there is a, a lot of people who are making their red wines without using that, that the fining process. And there's certainly a lot of different products that you, you can use to fine wine, correct, Susie? Yes. And actually, may I interject something? Yes. I, the name is perfect for Jane because in, in winemaking, it means you're taking a, you're taking a huge risk if you don't filter or fine a wine because if there are any imperfections in the wine, it will become apparent once it's bottled. And so winemakers who choose to go un, unfiltered, unfined are the ones who are um, bolder, who do probably a, a better job of the production process because it's more meticulous and it's not unlike the way Jane runs her business. You know, she takes <laughs> risk and, and she does it extremely well and boldly puts it in the bottle. It's impressive. Thank you. You had a nice tribute there, Jane. Thank you, Susie. Whenever each of you, whenever anybody speaks, you will become the speaker on the screen, and that's just fine. That's great. Thank you, Susie, for adding. And, Jane, pleasure to meet you. Karen Maley, you're up next. Karen, you're in a field. You're in a vineyard, I see, your virtual background. I think that was your dog barking. You want to bring your Yes, my apologies. No apology needed. (laughs) Zooming in COVID at home is I know. What's the name of your dog? Yogi. He looks like a little bear. <laughs> oh, how cute. So I've got another name for him right now, though. <laughs> Karen, it's fine. So, Karen, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience, please? Go ahead. We want to meet you. So, um, I am currently the general manager at uh, Robert Young Estate Winery, and that's uh, owned by a family. They've owned it for over 160 years, and they're one of the largest growers, uh, family-owned growers in Alexander Valley, just a tremendous family. Uh, I grew up in Toronto, Canada. Mm-hmm. And out of school, I went to work for Procter & Gamble. I was interested in marketing at the time. It's a wonderful company, wonderful training. But about three years in, I realized, geez, I'm, I'm expending all of this creative energy um, selling deodorant and, uh, you know, uh, dandruff shampoo. So I get a call one day from a headhunter and uh, the headhunter says, would you be interested? And this is, by the way, in January, in the middle of winter in Toronto. And they say, would you be interested in working for the world's largest winery in their international division based in California? Wow. <laughs> My bags are already packed. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Now, that was for Gallo. And that was just an incredible experience working in Asia Pacific. Uh, talk about being the only woman in the room. Um, I've also started uh, my own winery. I was a founding partner uh, of a small winery as well. And then also worked remotely uh, for big companies uh, that were uh, starting uh, new startups in the wine business. So I've I've worked in many, many different jobs in, in large companies and small companies, but it is a fantastic dynamic industry. 
Uh, it's great when you're when you're trying to uh, do a startup because people want to invest in the wine business. They want to sort of have a little piece of it, which makes it much easier. Karen, question yeah. for you. How in the world do you work for a consumer products company, one of the biggest in the world, and get a call from a headhunter out of the blue who says, would you like to go manage a winery? I, anybody looking for a job anywhere in the world, not just now during COVID, I think our listeners are saying, how in the world did somebody put the, the dotted line from one to the other? So do you have any clue why? Were you looking for something in the wine industry? Was this just out of the blue or out of the vineyard? It, it, it was out of the blue. But um, so this was back in the 90s. And so what at that point, there were a lot of the bigger wine companies, and Gallo's the biggest winery in the world, um, wanted to sort of increase the professionalism in their management team ranks. And so instead of having people come up all the way up through the wine business, they started to, you know, as a bigger wine company, they said, okay, well, we're really almost in packaged goods at this point on nationally distributed wines on grocery shelves. So uh, they went and, and sort of plucked people from marketing uh, from companies that had a reputation for great training. So that's, I mean, I will tell you to this day, I mean, do you know when some people, they graduate from Harvard and they always want to tell you that they grad, they've got a Harvard MBA? Um, people still mention the fact that I started at Procter & Gamble. Wow. <laughs> Fascinating career trajectory, Karen. Thank you for sharing that. Sometimes I find the backstories of my guests, Susie knows this, are so fascinating. Um, I do shows about the future of mobility and manufacturing. I used to do a show called The Future of Cars. And, and when I get, I had a panel of women in automotive a few weeks ago here. This is not a women-focused show, Tech Revolution, but I still find the, these topics fascinating. And I would ask them, how did you get started in automotive? Like I asked all of you, how to get started in wine. And the stories are absolutely fascinating. My dad was fixing cars and my brother owned a cool Mustang or I was just curious about engineering and I said, hey, I'll fix my carburetor myself. Just fascinating stories. So thank you, ladies, for sharing your stories. This makes you very, very special to all of us. And now another special part of the show is when I've asked my panelists in advance to pick a quote from a movie, a song, a book, something that has nothing to do with wine, nothing to do with industry. I'm going to read the quote with a little background and ask them to tell us how in the world they picked the quote they did and what it has to do with our topic. So Susie Selby has picked a line that is so iconic. It was an ad-libbed line used many times during the filming of the movie Jaws. Da, 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 da. I do a terrible impression. Da, 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 1975 film. Jaws is a 1975 American thriller directed by Spielberg based on Peter Benchley's 1974 novel of the same name. And Roy Scheider, who played Brody in the movie, ad-libbed this line at different points. And here's the line, you're gonna need a bigger boat. It's one of the iconic movie lines of all time. Susie, what are we talking about here? Susie Selby, you're up. <laughs> I love that movie and I love that line. But um, the, the way I would describe what's going on now, in, in the scene where Roy Scheider uses the line, He's, he's chumming because they know they're going to catch a shark and they're, they're prepared and, and they're ready to conquer the unknown, which is this, this shark that is obviously terrorizing the beaches. And as he's chumming, this shark that is probably 20 times larger than what they expected shows up. And he backs up and says, you're going to need a bigger boat. 
whole point is uh, they didn't anticipate what they were getting into. While they were in the middle of the ocean floating around, and I feel like in the wine industry right now, um, we're not going through a, just a market upheaval like 9-11 or 2008. We are going through something that's just unprecedented. You know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We have, um, you know, for the first time in our careers, we have what is now considered a fire season. It's changing the way we're having to do everything. And, you know, at some level, it's good when there's a higher learning curve, because I think it keeps us all on our toes. And, you know, we're learning even how to manage uh, workers and vineyards during COVID and, and things like that. But the bottom line is, this was just so unforeseen. And sometimes it feels like you're in the middle of the ocean in a boat that is way too small. And that's why I, that's why I chose the movie line. Thank you. We love the movie line. And did you know that it was ad-libbed by Roy Scheider and that he just kept doing it over and over again during the movie? No, I didn't know that. And I, I love the description when you, when you wrote it. And, well, well, he's fighting a man-eating shark. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, and by a, the way, he was the police chief, Martin Brody. Yes. Fascinating. Thank you. An iconic movie. And I understand there were scenes that were written slightly comedically and that Spielberg went back and made them scarier. He wanted to really, really engage the audience with it. Oh, my God, what's that? He wanted people to have nightmares. So very, very interesting. And this this ad lib line apparently was just you're going to need a bigger boat. Uh, it was just something that came off the top. Sometimes those are some of the best movie lines, and we're probably not supposed to know that they made them up. But when you watch some TV shows, I think you think, that couldn't have been in the script. That was just too good. So thank you very much, Susie. Let's move around the table to Sharon Cohn. And Sharon has picked a line from the song Hope for the Future, written by Sir Paul McCartney. We'll be formal with him today, Sharon. And it's from the song that was written and composed by Paul McCartney, released digitally on December 8th, 2014. Interesting. I didn't know songs were released digitally six years ago. I must not have been paying attention to the music industry. But the song was written for a record-breaking video game called Destiny. And it was originally only available within the game. The game was so popular, it sold more than $325 million in its first five days. And there's all kinds of lore about why and how McCartney wrote the song. Here's the line. Here are the lines Sharon has selected. Hope shines brightest in the dark where nothing's ever seen. Lighting undiscovered places nobody's ever been. Hope for the future. Oh, this is beautiful. Sharon, I've got goosebumps. Sharon, talk to me. Well, it just spoke to me about um, my background being in, in science and dental hygiene, um, where I really think that we need to look more and have more experts come on board and look at the issues that we're, that we're working with. As Susie said, you know, we, now we have a fire season. Um, working with COVID um, has made our, our world a whole different world. You know, we have a tasting room and one day we're packed and the next day, you know, we can't breathe for the smoke. Yeah. And so just adjusting to um, even being able to have people in your tasting room um, has been, uh, been a full-time job. <laughs> um, one of the things that we're um, looking to do right now is seeing how we can spread breathless in other areas in the world and um, 
looking at other options for marketing. Um, so I just think that we need more scientists uh, to help us, experts that want to jump in. Um, I'm loving that women are getting more involved. I think it's going to be very tedious, um, but I can see drones, you know, being able to detect the mildew, um, the smoke, excuse me, the smoke taint, the pests that we have already. Um, and just being able to figure out irrigation, we've had some very interesting and scary incidents with our irrigation where it's catching on fire and heading mm. towards the wineries um, throughout mm. the vineyard. And there's nowhere to put it out because it's underground. So um, we, we have to change the way we're doing things and think about what we have and how we can, you know, just a little tweak sometimes can can be the, the future and the cure. So um, just have to keep looking and get those bright new young minds looking at them. Thank you very much, Sharon. Very heartfelt quote. We appreciate that. Jane has picked a quote that's popularly attributed to Sir Winston Churchill, but historically speaking, it's been, it was around since a newspaper article in the St. Louis Star Times in 1937, not attributed to anybody, and on and on and on. So we'll just go ahead and say Sir Winston Churchill said this. Okay, Jane, we're not going to dispute it, but quote investigator, which is beyond Wikipedia. That's my second quote unquote Bible of looking things up. They said, nah, probably wasn't Churchill. But we're going to say for the purposes of today, we have to give a name. So it belongs to Churchill. Listen up, everybody. Tact. And some people say just diplomacy is another version. Tact is the ability to tell someone to go to hell in such a way that they look forward to the trip. <laughs> Jane, rescue me here. Talk to me. How in the world did you find this? And what are we talking about regarding women in the wine industry? Jane. Well, uh, I, I chose the quote because I think I aspire to be able to be tactful. And those who know me know that it's a very, very difficult <laughs> in, in the business for me, just me as a person, but in the business to be, to be tactful. And uh, I really do aspire to try and be tactful. Uh, and if I could absolutely do that, tell somebody to go to hell and they're gonna enjoy the trip. I think I've really, really done my job as far as training myself to be a little more tactful than I, um, I am, am, I'm known to be. So uh, I, I really don't, have a lot of tact. Uh, I really don't. Um, however, I am, I'm really, really trying to work on that. It's like the too hard basket. I take it out of the too hard basket and I say, today I'm going to do that. I'm going to get that job done. I'm, I'm not going to put it off to tomorrow. I'm mm -hmm. going to get it done. So um, tact is something that, you know, has been in my too hard basket for a very long time. And, you know, in, 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 in what we're going through now, uh, you know, uh, it's very, very important to have some tact and have some grace uh, because we're all in the unknown. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen. Is it, you know, I mean, we have hurricanes here in Florida. You know, I would love to send my hurricanes to you guys. I really would because at least it's going to, you know, have torrential rain um, episodes for you, but uh, tact is a uh, tact is my uh, it's it's the one thing that I really um, really really aspire to. 
Jane, I have a question for you. First of all, if you tell a hurricane, go to hell, that's in the direction, go west, young hurricane. That's California. Would you get out there and save my friend's wineries? That would be a good way. And the hurricane will say, yeah, we were thinking about that anyway. We're going. Wouldn't that be cool? I've never heard of a too hard basket, but I like that. I think it's related to procrastination. Um, But Jane, do you think it's important in my intro, I read about I read about not enough women in the wine industry, and that's a little bit of what we're talking about today. Do you think women are expected to be tactful and diplomatic when they enter a very long male-dominated industry? Just quickly, Jane, what do you think? I, I don't think so. I think everybody needs to act Good. As, as, as themselves. Um, you know, um, I, I just happen to own a wine distribution company in Florida, and I just happen to be a woman. Um, it's, it's, it's no, no big deal. I don't think women need to change anything that they're doing. Um, everybody's on an equal footing. Um, I think you I- just made an iconic, everybody, could we just give her a round of applause for that? <laughs> yeah. That was so, what, Jane, you happen to be in wine distribution. You happen to be a woman. So what? I'm going to exactly. be, I'm going to do what I need to do to run my business. <laughs> That was a quotable moment. You got to look for that in the video. Let's see. It's uh, somewhere around, uh, let's see, about 32 minutes in. So you can find that. Thank you very much. Karen Maley, we're going to move along to you. Karen, this quote I found was actually from Oprah Winfrey. Uh, You had said it was from Anna Quinlan, the writer and author. But I'm going to go with Oprah for this one. Oprah, everybody knows Oprah. Very much alive and well, born in 1954. American talk show host, TV producer, actress, author, philanthropist, multi-quadrillionaire. I think billion isn't even enough for her anymore. Best known for the Oprah Winfrey show, broadcast from Chicago. Here's the quote. And this is another really, really good one, Karen. People will tell you, you can have it all, and you can, just not all at once. And I have to tell you, there's a brand new book by Romy Neustadt called, You Can Have It All, Just Not at the Same Damn Time. That book just came out. So Karen, love the quote. Talk to me. How'd you find this one? Actually, uh, I went to visit uh, one of my best friends who was graduating from Harvard MBA years ago, and the keynote speaker uh, was Anna Quinlan. And so she and, and she was speaking to all of the young women in the graduating class that were going off to conquer the world. And she she had that quote. And I was about five years ahead of them, and so had a little bit more life experience. And I love this quote because it's a conversation I'm not sure that we always have honestly with women in any industry. And uh, when we talk about the gender gap in the, C- in the C-suite with corporations, the reality is, is that there's really only a very small percentage of people, male or female, that are willing to make the sacrifice to be at the top, to have that top dog jo- uh, uh, job. And as I look back on my own career, there are many times where that seesaw between my career and my personal life as a mom have gone back and forth and I have no regrets about that. But when I'm mentoring young women and I, I love mentoring young people, um, it's, a, it's a kind of a passion of mine as well. And, you know, so when I'm talking to them, you know, when I'm, I'm mentoring young women and we're talking about their career goals and I'm, you know, be fearless, uh, ask for what you want, set your goals and, you know, run after them. Don't let anybody stand in your way. And then I also asked them, I said, you know, what are your goals in your personal life? Do you know? But if you don't know, you should figure them out because you should have similar goals in your personal life 
um, because there's a chance that uh, as you're hard charging in your career, you may get to your 30s and realize you hadn't carved out a space for that part of your life as well. And again, that's a conversation I'm not sure that we're, we feel bad somehow about having with women. And I, and I don't think that's the case. I think we should be very conscious about it. Thank you. Very, very interesting. Goes way beyond, uh, uh, Karen, as you said, way beyond the wine industry and women. And the question is, when we were the moms, the household engineers, didn't they call us that a couple of years ago? You're not a mom. You're a household engineer. Look at your important job. We weren't paid for it, right? And some of us, like me, a very young divorcee, had to go back to school, get a couple degrees, get a full-time job, handle two kids, 3,000 miles from home, five locks on my door because I'd never lived alone before, taking care of my kids, starting a new career career in a in a, a burgeoning I was a computer programmer mainframe programmer back in the late 19 I'm not going to tell you when back in the key punch days when the a computer was the size of a friggin' warehouse that's how big it was it was in a warehouse basically in a huge room with lights and blinking lights and there was a whole separate it wasn't just this little thing sat on your desk anyway uh, we could we have it all it was hard it was hard to balance right Karen hard to balance taking care of your kids and your job and having a career and having for me single dating life etc cetera, etc cetera. but today in a way we've gone back to that because Women, mostly mom caregivers, are the ones who are helping to teach the children at home, right? In the pandemic, everything has changed. The shift of home life and and work balance. Somebody once told me years ago, and I thought this was very wise, there's no such thing as work-life balance. It's work-life integration. We're never, ever going to get a balance. It's going to be a way to integrate it into our own personal quilt or landscape, if you will, of who we are and what we want to do. I'm done pontificating. Let's move to the predictions part of the show. Susie Selby, let's keep this to about 90 seconds each because we have a lot of predictions and I want to cover them. Susie Selby, you're up first. Opportunities for women in production will be more limited as wineries continue to reduce their labor costs. That's interesting. Susie, explain, please. Well, I wanted to address, the, of course, the female part of this, and um, a lot of women frequently ask me how to get into the industry, and one of the challenges for women, um, it's, it's not necessarily, well, it's not discriminatory. Women simply aren't as physically strong as men, and in sellers, you need strength, and it's actually one of the reasons that I learned how to drive a forklift. It doesn't require physical strength, and it's a key position in a seller, um, but unfortunately, the first you know, women will frequently end up working in labs or in other positions that are the first to go when, when wineries start cutting back. And it, it, there are women in cellars, there's no question about that. But again, unless they have a, a really um, identifiable non-position that does not require physical strength, it's going to be challenging. So I, I think it might be a little bit more difficult for women graduating from school in enology and pursuing a job in the industry. Interesting. In production, in production not sales. In production. Thank you, Susie. Sharon Cohen, I'm going to your prediction number one. The ABC, you're going to have to explain this or unpack it for me. The ABC will finally be updated to the new world of technology for advertising, including social media, email requirements, and food requirements. This is interesting. Expecting wineries to serve a meal that would have been eaten in the 1950s in order to open in 2020 during COVID-19. Sharon, talk to me, what is all this? Well, we're just antiquated in that area. So our regulatory system um, needs to come up to the ages so that we can communicate the way we communicate today. 
it's illegal to do a lot of posting on social media um, about where your wine is, unless you've got, you're telling them where three stores are, you, you, you just can't say, oh, you can find it at this one store. Um, so the legislature really needs to um, update everything. The ABC can't move without that uh, support and the wineries and the businesses um, can't, can't do what they need to do in order to stay with everything else. They are very much about um, unfair disadvantage. And right now I just feel like we have a big unfair disadvantage in the way that we can, can market and the way that we can have our tasting rooms um, with, with the way the legislation is right now. Sharon, unpack for me, ABC is that, I'm guessing it's the American Beverage Commission. I have no idea, what is ABC? Oh, help. I'm going to go to Susie again, too. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, uh, it's, alcohol, it's Alcohol Beverage Commission, and there's an ABC in every state, and they all have different rules. Thank you very much. Well, I got Beverage Commission right, so I got to get some creds for that. Okay. Thank you very much. Interesting. Fascinating. Jane Utley, I'm looking at prediction number one, the failure of major distributors to understand their independent customers, non-national chains, and forego those grassroots relationships by only offering web-only based ordering. I'm going to stop there and let you unpack this for me. Jay Nutley, talk to me, please. Well, uh, traditionally in, in uh, wine distribution, um, you know, we have salespeople and those salespeople go, you know, very simply, they go and visit our accounts, their accounts. Uh, whether it be an on-premise, a retailer, or an off-premise, uh, on-premise uh, restaurant, or off-premise retailers, and so that's how the, the industry has has always worked. And a lot about those, uh, the way that is, is its relationships. Uh, what is starting to happen, um, and it's being pushed quite hard by some of the, the bigger guys, bigger distributors, is that they really want to do away with their sales force and they want uh, to have their customers order online. So they don't see a sales rep. They just don't get to taste the wine. Mm -hmm. They just have to order the wine online. And that is something that is certainly being pushed. Um, I, I don't know um, how long or how, how far it's going to go. Uh, right now, um, as far as my business is concerned, we don't have any online ordering. Uh, we do everything with our, our relationships with our salespeople and, and our customers. So it's, it's going to be uh, very interesting. Uh, I mean, this was brought on a lot by COVID because uh, right in the, the, the middle of the pandemic, you know, it was very difficult for salespeople to go and visit their, their customers because the customers weren't open. Uh, so, you know, the restaurants weren't open. And uh, so th this has been pushed, you know, quite, quite hard with some of the major guys. And I just don't see it happening for quite some time. And we continue to do the traditional method, relationships, salespeople going to see their customers. Uh, so that's, that's where, where that, um, that, that came from. Thank you very much. Very, very insightful. Karen Maley, I'm looking at your prediction number one, real change in more women entering the production and distributor sales areas of wine will come from mentoring, and I like this phrase, conscious pipelining of female talent, not by equity quotas. Karen, important prediction. Go ahead, Karen Maley. 
Well, there's two points in, in, in this. Uh, one is that uh, I'm not sure that people understand that there are some areas in the wine business where there are more men working than women, but in other areas, it's, it's the exact opposite. So if you walk through any uh, marketing department of any wine company, uh, almost all of them tend to be women. If you go to a winery and uh, for hospitality or for a tasting, most almost all of the hospitality staff is women. Now that's the opposite in distributor sales. Uh, it's changing and there's more women now than there were when I, when I first started um, and also in production. But the second point in here is sort of my belief is that I'm a big believer in equal opportunity for people. I am not a fan of guaranteeing outcomes. And so my point of view is if, if I, run, I, run a, I run a winery now and, include, and I oversee production. In my mind, if, you, if you're a person who believes that it's important to have a winemaker who's a woman, uh, then make it happen, you know? <laughs> Identify good talent, mentor them, let them under, support them, let them understand that, uh, you know, that they, they can do anything they set their mind too, mostly, um, but make that happen. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm against uh, these, any quotas. And I think that they're detrimental to, uh, to women in the long term. And I don't think they stick. Mm, interesting. Susie, applause again for what an interesting panel. Beauty, brains, commitment, passion, talent. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm so impressed with all of you. Seriously impressed. Let's try, see what we can fit in round two of predictions. Susie Selby, prediction number two. This is an interesting technical one. The new normal, I call it the new abnormal, of a fire season in California will not only impact tourism, but will create a new learning curve of winemakers on how to process fruit that has been exposed to smoke. Oh my goodness, Susie, talk to me. Well, we are all learning new techniques. And one thing I can say confidently to any consumer of wine, if something from the 2020 harvest is in a bottle, then it tastes great. Because we are all, um, we're learning, we can process fruit in a different way because you know, I don't want to get too technical, but the bottom line is the this, if, if fruit is exposed to smoke, it's in the skins of the grapes. And so we're learning how to um, uh, process it so we're not pressing it too hard. We're, we're treating it a little bit differently. So it's a completely new learning curve. And um, just from an a interest standpoint, this is the most collaborative I've ever seen winemakers together I have spent more time on a daily basis talking to my colleagues in both Napa and Sonoma about how to handle the situation and how to, um, how to assure that when something goes into a bottle, it's absolutely fabulous, but you know, it's different. And I really think that the camaraderie um, is the most exciting thing that has transpired from this current situation. Thank you very much. You know, interesting, I've done radio professionally for 10 years now, and until the beginning of right around the time COVID started, or we were aware of it, early 2020, I switched to Zoom, where I can actually see my panelists. And I wish, Susie, talking about collaboration and communication, I wish that I had moved radio to Zoom a couple of years ago, 
because now I can see the nuances of how this particular panel, how you think, how you speak, what you're doing, a little bit of your environment or your choice of a virtual background. And it adds a nuance and a flavor of that collaborative. We're all here to talk about the same thing. So thank you for that, Susie. Very interesting. I'm going to Sharon Cohn, prediction number two. This is interesting. And the last word of this prediction, Sharon, is obviously where I want you to go. Sharon says, technology will continue to create changes in the wine industry. Breathless, sparkling wines are crafted by hand on winemaking and bottled and pa- hands-on, sorry, hands-on winemaking and bottled and packaged by robots. Talk to me, Sharon. Seriously, this is exciting, is it? It really is exciting. Um, so Rack and Riddle has upgraded uh, the technology in their facility from robots taking the bottles out of the tirage bins um, and putting them into riddling racks and those riddling racks being taken um, over to the disgorging line and completely no touch throughout the whole process, all the way to wrapping up the boxes and the plastic to get them on the truck. So um, the people that were doing those jobs before have now upgraded their skills to running the computers um, that actually took probably about six months to program and the designers had to come over from France um, to actually get them going. And, and they weren't cooperative for <laughs> a while, but finally um, everything is running uh, like clockwork. And it's amazing, you know, the skills get to go up and people get to collaborate more because they see, you know, how things can be better. And um, it's, it's been very, very exciting. Thank you very much. Very, We are very excited about these predictions. That was Sharon. Let me go to who we got next. We've got Jane. Jane, I'm going to prediction number two. This is interesting. You say the increase in small distributors offering exceptional artisan wines to customers looking for wines other than nationally known brands. So the prediction is there will be an increase in small distributors. Talk to me, Jane. I absolutely believe that um, with what has happened with COVID and so many um, man, uh, high, higher, um, high-end management being let go from the major distributors that they've been there for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years and they've been let go. They have, they have amazing relationships with wineries around the world and uh, in California, Oregon, Washington. And if they can get the financial backing, they're going to come back at it and they're going to start their own distributorship and they're going to take those relationships and they're going to just start small distributorships. So we, we see this a lot, you know, in, in, in any business, the consolidation, a lot of small guys, the consolidation uh, where the big guys kind of just eat up the little guys. And we're going to see this turn around again and we're going to see a whole bunch of small guys uh, come back uh, into the fray. And, uh, you know, so it's almost like unconsolidation <laughs> It's, it's, we're going to have a lot more um, uh, smaller guys going out there and, and getting the job done. Thank you very much. Interesting prediction. Let's go, Karen. We lost you and you're back. Thank you. You're persistent. We appreciate that. Karen, I'm going to prediction number three. The increasing consolidation in all aspects of the wine business will continue to hurt small to mid-sized family-owned wineries unless they adapt. Why don't you break that out a little bit, Karen, and adapt how to what, in what ways are we talking about technology? Karen. 
well, Jane, Jane gets, sees this firsthand and actually as, as part of this, uh, uh, this seminar and this chat, I was very encouraged to hear her prediction that there will be some, uh, the pendulum will swing from consolidation. Uh, it's this, that's going to continue to, to happen, but from that, there will be some small distributors that will spring up that will are willing to take a phone call from a small winery like myself, which is encouraging. I, I hope it happens soon. So the problem is, is that uh, we, we are making a product that increasingly we can't get into the hands of our consumers across the United States. There's just, there's, there's that whole channel is, is cut off uh, to smaller wineries. So one of the thing, good things about COVID, as a matter of fact, one of the benefits about COVID is a lot of uh, wineries like, my, like ours that sell almost all of it, they call it DDC, D to C, uh, direct to consumer. Um, when we couldn't have people come to the tasting room, we had to really muscle up our energies with online selling. Uh, online Zooms, tastings, uh, email offers to, uh, to our group of consumers. And uh, many of us were actually shocked uh, at how successful it was. Uh, we're actually, our revenues are actually up 20% versus a year ago. Um, and it's because we were able to pivot very, very quickly and in a very focused way to mine uh, to reach our consumers and get them the product directly as opposed to trying sort of to swim upstream through the normal um, distribution channel. And uh, people that were slow to do that are suffering right now. And that's, that's not going to, that's not going to slow down. I just see it. I see it becoming more and more of a necessity to be successful um, at our end, at our size in this business. Thank you very much, Karen. Very astute prediction. And we find with companies around the world, those that embraced, there's a big word, digitalization. Used to be digitization. Now it's digitalization, lots of syllables. Those are the companies that were positioned, whether they realized it or not, to pivot, to be fluid, to adapt, to do things differently or quickly to try to come out of this pandemic and, and resume their business or change their business model, whatever it is. Thank you for that, Karen. We have four minutes left. I'm going to tackle one more prediction really, really fast before we thank everybody. Susie Selby, prediction number four, the labor shortage will continue to, le- to adversely impact the cost of goods and potentially the overall quality of wine as we slowly move to mechanical harvesting. Susie, why don't you take about 60, 60, 65 seconds for this one, and then we're going to go around and, and have closing remarks. Go ahead. You know, it ties in closely to what Sharon was saying. Um, we are adjusting the way we make wine. Um, in the past, we've had large groups of mi- migrant labor, and that's not here anymore. And mm-hmm. so we are switching to mechanization in places that have tradi- traditionally been manual. And... Um, in order to make a higher quality wine, the mechanization is getting better, but it's, it's different because we don't have the hand pickers anymore. And when we do that, um, it's expensive. And so our cost of goods is increasing dramatically because of the labor shortage and um, COVID on top of that, because it, it requires um, a lot more organization in order to get the workers um, to be compliant for COVID. So um, I think that's going to be a big challenge, especially for small, high-end wineries in the future. Thank you very much. Ladies, I'm going to give you each 
one sentence prediction or wrap up for what's going to happen between now and let's say 2025 for your company or for the industry and women and tech in the wine industry. So Susie, one sentence each, you can make it a long sentence with one comma in it, but that's about it. Susie, one sentence, wrap up, go ahead. The wine industry will always be a popular destination, no matter what the circumstances are. And I encourage everyone to support the California wine industry, um, Sonoma County and Napa in particular, and um, to continue to visit us. And if you want to help us during the fire season, we need you to come and we need you to stay in our hotels and we want you here. Thank you. That one sentence each, Sharon Cohn, one sentence. Uh, I just think we're going to look in those dark places to find the light and to turn uh, the technology into our favor so that our consumers can continue to enjoy the fabulous product that we uh, produce. Thank you. I agree. Jane Utley, one sentence. Generational change. That is what is going to happen. The kids have grown up and they are going to experiment. They're not going to drink what their parents were drinking. So there's great ah, out there. Thank you, Karen. Last sentence. One sentence. Veet, veet. Fasten your seatbelts. We're in for a bumpy ride. How did you know that's how I end all my Game Changers radio shows? But this is not Did you really? Uh, yes, I always say fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a Game Changer today. I, I know I've been doing that for 10 years. You listen. You peaked. Oh, I wanted everybody round of applause for Susie Selby. Susie, you picked oh. an extraordinary panel. I am so honored that all of you wonderful ladies, you smart, brilliant people who are so passionate about what you do and so savvy and so committed. I'm honored that you spent the time with me today. And Susie, you are a wonderful person and a wonderful friend. So thank you so much for this, Susie. And I want to thank Ryan Treasure, my co-producer. I want to thank Aaron Keller. Yay for Aaron, our engineer extraordinaire. Thank you, Aaron. He calls himself my sidekick and he does deserve that title. So thank you everyone for tuning into Technology Revolution. The future of now. Remember the future of now. It didn't happen yet. We're all an important part of making it happen. And let's make it a better one. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Bye-bye. Everybody wave. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Oh